From Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. We're back with Jen Reamer of Reamer Family Farm to talk about the importance of a diversity of cover crops in building organic matter in your soil health. Hear how cover crops help with everything from serving as livestock forage to help manage increasing rainfalls. Jen and her family have a regenerative and diverse livestock farm. They raise pastured meat and eggs in South Central Wisconsin. They're transitioning the farm from Jen's in-laws and a former commodity beef and corn operation to 100% grass-fed beef and lamb, as well as pastured poultry and hogs. Jen focuses on regenerating soil and bringing diverse ecology back to the land. We are back with Jen Reamer of Reamer Family Farm and talking about something I know that is so near and dear to you and your family's heart of stewarding Reamer Family Farm, right? And the land and caring for it and I love how you look at things from such a systems perspective. It's not just one thing, right? Or one, one anything, one animal or one crop. It's that modeling of nature's diversity and to do it in a way that's thoughtful and that is in it for the long term, Mm -hmm. right? So, so on that, uh, that note, uh, I know cover crops are something you use in different capacities, but why do you think they're important and why, why would you magic wand love to see more farmers using cover crops? On their land. Yeah. Um, cover crops have a ton of value. Um, and a lot of the NRCS programs, USDA programs, are really pushing cover crops right now, specifically for like corn and bean farmers, um, just to keep the ground covered with plant matter. Um, and that primary motivation is to keep um, runoff from happening and, you know, keep the streams um, and and creeks clean. So that's definitely a value, but I think it goes a lot deeper than that. For us, um, we first started doing cover crops several years back in the area where our cattle winter graze or have their bales in the winter, um, about 20 acres, and they basically destroy the pasture there. Um, So we started implementing cover crops, um, bring the soil back and um, keep it covered um, give us some more forage also. Um, so what, what, were you, what have you been planting for that? Yeah, so we planted cover crops this year we did in that area and in an area where we're renting a neighbor's farm, um, taking it out of corn on corn on corn and tillage on tillage on tillage to bring the soil back to life over there. Very, very dead soil. We are using, it's like a Sudan and sorghum Sudan mix with some bursim clover and millet and cowpeas and mung beans and a little bit of brassica. There's a d- diversity in there. Anytime you can have a diverse mix, it's better than just uh, one or two different 
kinds of plants because then you get the diversity of the the roots going into different uh, soil root zones and building organic matter. You get um, soil structure benefits. Um, just kind of bringing things back to life. All the wonderful. Basically, we're we're grass farmers ultimately, and and if we manage the wonderful little microbes and mycorrhizal fungi and all the great stuff in the soil, we're gonna have healthy plants and therefore healthy animals. You know, and and cover crops also fix nitrogen and sequester carbon, which is the hot topic now. Is sure. how do we curb global warming? And you know, we really believe that well managed pasture is a huge part of the solution. Um, and the water infiltration um, we're seeing, you know, just this week, we've got major flooding happening all around us, and all of these bare crop fields where they've already taken off silage are nothing but like ponds and slake and all of the water just running off and that's just going right downstream and this is why we have impaired waterways and all of these lakes that are now filled with sediment so if we keep it covered that water is going to go right down into the soil and be able to be used by the crops and how are your fields faring okay we have a pretty well, very flat farm, and our soil is is pretty heavy um, on the clay side. So we've definitely got some puddles and standing water. We've got a couple little wetland areas, but our cattle are still grazing. It's, you know, the water is infiltrating well. Um, it's a little mushy, but there's they're doing fine, and they're not mucking it up that badly. Um, so it's we've built some resilience yeah, finally. Yeah. Um, two years ago was was pretty tough. We were just getting our pastures established, and we lost some pasture because it just couldn't resist all of the heavy cattle traffic. But it's it's really great this year to go out and see how resilient our pastures are. I love that term resilient when describing the land because that's – what you really see yourself as the caretaker for, right? It won't just be resilient by default. But also you're seeing things very integrated between your animals and the land and the stewardship aspect, right? It's not Mm. animals here and pasture here, but do you keep an – I mean, how do you – is there a system that you use or is it is it becoming even more intuitive to just look at the field and look at your animals and is it working or do they need more of something or um, particularly on the, the forage aspect of are you finding that some cover crops are, I don't say tastier, but I mean, you know, I mean, are just yeah. are better for the animals or mm-hmm. is that also wanting to look for that diversity there too, it sounds like. Yeah, it's... All of the above. So there's definitely a plan going into the season of, you know, we figure out in the winter if we need to reseed anywhere. Um, We have primarily perennial pastures, so it's, you know, it's pretty well established now. We're in the third or fourth year with all of our pastures. Um, But then we needed to reseed into our alfalfa field because it all winter killed. Um, All the alfalfa winter killed in one field and then all the grass winter killed in a different field. So we had to reseed and kind of figure out what plants needed to go where. And we have a grazing plan going into the season that they're going to, you know, have approximately this size paddock because there's this many animals and then they're going to move twice a day. And then we adjust from there based on what rain we get and um, how long the recovery period needs to be because it really all depends on the weather, how warm it gets, how much precipitation. Um, So we definitely go in with a plan. And then if 
as always happens in the spring, the grass grows faster than the cattle can eat. Um, we do um, either cut some and um, either let it incorporate back into the soil or we cut it and graze and um, bale it for winter feed. So we have um, winter feed stored up, um, which is amazing because last year being so wet, we ended up um, not getting all of our hay made and had to buy hay last winter, which was super painful because hay was super expensive and it still is. So we're getting ourselves on the right side of that equation this year. Sure. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll bale some of our pasture if it gets ahead of us. Um, and really we are using the animals as tools to manage the grass. And, um, we moved them in on our cover crops to graze the first time through when the cover crop got mature, um, and then moved them out. And then the second time the cover crop was ready, we bailed it for winter forage. Wow. So the, going back to what you're talking about the weather, I mean, in trying to I mean, call it managing risk, but just managing life in today's mm-hmm. climate, weather must play a really big unknown for you, right? Yeah. How do you, I, mean, I don't even know, is there a strategy <laughs> or a mindset you use or, or bottom line, building the resilience of the soil even more, right? To yeah. handle extreme weather patterns. Yeah. Yeah, it's I've never so acutely watched the weather. <laughs> um, it's really tricky. I mean, there's really no magic. There's there's really no magic. I mean, really having a diverse perennial pasture, I think, is the is the best way. Even then, I mean, it's really been very rainy uh, this week, and we moved the cattle onto a, a new pasture yesterday, and my husband and I were observing that the pasture they had just come off of had a ton of great forage that was just muddy and trampled because as soon as they step on it, it's just mucky because it's so wet. So Nobody wants to eat that. (laughs) Right. So on one hand, it feels like, oh, what a loss. But on the other hand, you know, the more vegetation you leave on the ground, the more value that's going to be the next year and the more activity you're going to have in the soil. And, you know, so there's value to to just having a lot of great vegetation cover. Um, but, you know, it's also, you know, when we go from three quarters of an acre paddock to two acres of a paddock and it's the same number of animals, you know, we blow through the pasture a lot faster and we'll probably have to start feeding hay a little earlier than we would like to this year because we'll, you know, run out of suitable pasture for them a little quicker because of the weather. But, you know, we, huh, we do the best we can. And and one advantage we do have too, is that, um, Bryce's dad has an old feedlot structure, uh, with or concrete with barns. So if worse came to worse, we could bring them up there and feed them hay if, if everything was flooded out so that we didn't destroy all of our pasture. We haven't had to do that yet, but we've talked about it a time or two. Wow. How have some of the more extremes of temperature affected you too? Or is it again, back to that resilience of finding varietals that can handle? Yeah. Yeah. We do better in a drought than a flood for sure. Um, and we do okay with the heat. Um, we just make sure that the cattle in particular, 
And the sheep have a shade structure um, that they can get under in the pasture. Um, but the cattle, you know, the shade structures that they sell are so expensive. And so we make sure that they have trees. We have um, some trees out in our pastures and in our fence rows that we make sure that they can just get under some shade on really hot days. Um, we'll give them, you know, make some goofy shaped paddocks just to make sure they can get some shelter under the trees. Um yeah, but building the resilience is really the key. Have you seen things evolve and improve since you've been actively grazing and managing the land regeneratively? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's It's been astounding, actually. And just four years ago is when we really um, focused on planting good pasture um, and doing the AMP or the management intensive grazing and we have seen so much wildlife return, tons of the grassland birds. We've got bobolinks and dicks thistles and um, all sorts of butterflies. We had a huge, huge, um, it's called a roosting of monarchs last oh. year. We had just tens of thousands of monarchs in our tree line. And it was just, it was like a fairyland. It was so crazy. But we had clover for them to eat. And so they just kind of hung out there for a couple weeks in late August, I think it was before they headed down to Mexico, but it was just really astounding to see how quickly the wildlife came back. And, you know, right across the fence row, this, you know, cornfield that's just bare and lifeless. And then on our side, we've got all this great wildlife, which includes skunks, which are less than desirable, but, <laughs> um, yeah, but still, there's it's a the diversity. Those butterflies know where to go. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Thank you, Jen. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest, with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, Moses. The mission of Moses is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on Moses, in her boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.